Here we go. And this is Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and it's on Monday, November the 29th in the year of our Lord, 2021. After the Thanksgiving holiday, we're back live today. And what are we going to be doing? We're going to be taking a look at lessons for the coming week, which is the second Sunday in Advent. Yesterday, we had the first Sunday in Advent, which means it was a new church year. That's right. The church year starts not at January the 1st. That's a calendar year. It begins instead with Advent. So, second Sunday in Advent, there are readings from Malachi chapter 3, Philippians chapter 1, and Luke chapter 3. We're going to be taking a look at Luke 3, verses 1 to 14, about John the baptizer. Very interesting, the first few verses. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteraria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Wow. Talk about being historically situated. Luke has this tendency to make sure that you realize that this happened in real time. None of the New Testament or the Old Testament is mythical in the sense that what it says happens never happened. It all happened just the way it says. So this is a very clear time when John the baptizer hears the word of God, and he is the son of Zechariah, and he's in the wilderness. So he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a what? A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is so important to understand. That's what Advent is all about, that we want people to believe that their sins have been forgiven. But what is necessary for them to believe that? They must also believe that they are a sinner. Now, you say believe. Isn't it kind of obvious they are a sinner? No, not at all. How many people have you met who don't think they're as big a sinner as God thinks they are? How many are really willing to say that they deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment because they are poor, miserable sinners? And so there needs to be a baptism of repentance in the sense that people repent of what they have come to realize what a sinner they are. 
And in that repentance, which means contrition, sadness over one's sin, as they confess it before God, they then can hear the good news that their sin has been forgiven. So that's what he's proclaiming, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In the gospel according to Mark, that's precisely what Jesus says is his message, namely repentance and the preaching of the gospel. Law and gospel is what the Bible is all about. The law is a way in which God uses the commandments, etc., to show that you are short of the glory of God. And that is to result in a fear of God, a fear that you're wondering, how can I be saved? And that's why the law always precedes the gospel. It's kind of like you go to the doctor and he doesn't look at you and say, start taking this medicine. No, he first examines you. You may be feeling really good. Maybe it's a regular checkup you've come to and through a few tests that he does, he says, boy, you got a virus and it's gonna get worse unless you start taking this medicine. And so he discovers what's wrong and then he prescribes the medicine. That's how the church works. When parents bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, they are to share with their children that all of them are sinners in need of the forgiveness of Jesus. And therefore, children learn looking at their parents and watching them how important it is to confess your sins, not to lie about it, because God knows everything anyway. And by that confession, you're not giving God information of which he is unaware of. You're instead giving him the truth of which he is aware of, and you are the one confessing that you are just as he thinks you are, which means you are in need of a savior. Now, Luke quotes the words of Isaiah the prophet to back up what John the baptizer is doing. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now you would think the Old Testament is referring to Jesus as the one crying in the wilderness. The word crying here doesn't mean that John the baptizer is weeping, but we know it's talking about him proclaiming loudly the message of repentance. Why? 
because the next part of Isaiah makes it clear this isn't Jesus. This is the one who is going to prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Now, what does that mean? Well, here we're having a metaphor. And John the baptizer, through the power of the Holy Spirit, realizes what Isaiah is saying. Every valley shall be filled. So he's kind of using geography as a metaphor to speak about people. Who are people who have valleys? Well, today there are many. In light of the virus, in light of economic problems, in light of all the problems that are occurring in this country, there are people who are very depressed. They are in a valley. And they shall be filled now with what? With hope, with joy, and with promises from God. And how about every mountain and hill shall be made low? What's that a metaphor of? Well, it's a metaphor of people who don't think they need a savior. They think they're good enough. They're high in their regard of themselves, and they don't realize they are in need of a savior who is really Jesus of Nazareth. And therefore they shall be made low. They shall be humbled. So like Pharisees who thank God that they're not like tax collectors because they're fasting, they're tithing, and therefore they think that by following the ceremonial laws, they are being saved. No, that is impossible. No one is saved by their works. And therefore the crooked shall become straight. Now, John the baptizer is referring to a crooked path. We make trips each week to the churches that we are working with in the mission field in central Illinois. And it's really nice sometimes when the road is straight. There's one section where as soon as you get on it, about three miles away, you can see a red light and you know you're on the right road, and you say straight on that road. Now, what makes you not stay straight? Well, you may be so sleepy that sometimes you run off the road. New roads are being made with ways in which noise occurs when your tires go off the regular payment, pavement and go on the side of the road. This is very, very good because it can wake people up because you need to be going straight. And the rough places shall become level ways. I've got a car that tells you exactly how many miles to the gallon you're getting while you are driving. And it would be nice if I was able to drive downhill all the way from St. Louis to congregations that are 150 miles away. Because when you go downhill in this car, 
your gas mileage is really high, but there are hills. And every time you go uphill, boy, it brings down your gas mileage. So rough places shall become level ways. And then finally, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is Isaiah's way, which John the baptizer understands that even on the coming day of judgment, which we talk about during Advent, all flesh shall see the salvation of God, namely all flesh shall see Jesus Christ. Some who have believed in him to heaven and others to eternal hell. Going on with verse 7 of Luke chapter 3. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, there are some in the crowd, primarily Pharisees, who don't think they need to be baptized because they're not really sinners. And they're already saved because they have Abraham as their father. How does John the Baptist reply to that? For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So John the Baptizer is just making a point. Stones can be made to be children of Abraham. In fact, when Jesus goes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, some of the Pharisees tell Jesus to keep his disciples quiet because they're giving the impression that here comes the one they were looking for, the Messiah, the Christ. And Jesus says, even if they were quiet, the stones would cry out in my glory. So there's another example where God can take stones and do something with them that we think is impossible. That's why it was really interesting during Jesus' temptations when he was hungry for bread that he could have made stones into bread and eaten them. But following his father's mission, he did not do that. Tempted by devil, he overcame that temptation. So, John the Baptizer continues, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, how many times has that occurred? Farmers use all kinds of pesticides and various grounds in order to get the best crops. As we drive through Illinois, it's really different because all the corn 
has now been harvested. And it's amazing to see how large these fields were. Now, there were some corn we saw that didn't look like it was growing very well, and therefore it would not produce the kind of fruit that the farmer had hoped for. Its cobs were useless, and therefore it was just as good for being a source of fire as it was for a source of food. What's John the Baptizer talking about? He's talking about individuals who do not bear fruit in the Bible, good works that are redeemable by God, that God looks at and says, this is truly a good work. It is referred to as a fruit of the Holy Spirit so that only a Christian, a believer, can do a proper good work, namely a fruit of the Holy Spirit, because unbelievers don't have the Holy Spirit, and therefore they will be thrown into the fire of hell. And the crowds asked John the baptizer, hearing this information about, wow, that could happen to them because they realize they're sinners. What then shall we do? And John the baptizer answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Now, when you first read this, it sounds like this is a command that you are to do in order to save yourself. But we're going to begin a study on Wednesdays in regard to the book of Proverbs. Many people do not understand the book of Proverbs because the book of Proverbs, which are mainly by Solomon and a few others, is not for unbelievers. It is for believers who need to know about wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the opposite of how men normally think. So a lot of times we get into a problem and we don't turn to God for help. We look to ourselves to get out of the problem. And we try and figure, what can we do? But the book of Proverbs is what God says, how Christians should behave, not in order to get to heaven, because they're already on their way to heaven. The book of Proverbs is for believers, revealing to them what God's will is for their life. So... When John the baptizer speaks with wisdom, he says, whoever has two tunics is to share with them him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. These are not good works that get you to heaven because you are already a believer and on your way to heaven. 
These instead are the results of what believers should be doing as they realize what God has done for them. For he has been merciful, namely, not giving us what we deserve, and he has been gracious in giving us what we do not deserve. We don't get the eternal condemnation through faith in Jesus, and we get instead the forgiveness of sins. But there's a lifestyle that follows that, not in order to be saved, because you're already saved, but it is kind of what we refer to as the third use of the law, God's wisdom in how we are to behave and act as Christians. He even talks to tax collectors. They came to be baptized. He said to him, they said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. In other words, there were tax collectors who would collect a lot more beyond what they were to be paid, and they became very rich. In fact, there was one tax collector who repented of that and told Jesus that he would restore much of what he had taken as taxes inappropriately. So it wasn't that if a tax collector only took what he was authorized to do, namely taxes plus a little bit for his own wages, that therefore he would be going to heaven. No, this is talking to believers who want to know what is the will of God for me today? And John the baptizer tells them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. That's wisdom. Because if you collect more, then you are breaking the commandment against theft. Even soldiers asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. In other words, soldiers in defeating a city could go in and take the riches of those whom they have defeated and demand even more. Recently, I saw a movie where a couple was kidnapped. They had just sold their house for $90,000. And the people who kidnapped them, they were going to put them to death if they didn't give them the $90,000. So the proper credentials were given to these robbers, but then the couple was still put to death. In other words, these people who killed this couple, they were not following the will of God. They were not Christians. This is very important that pastors make it clear, what is the will of God for you today? And 
you may not be talking to tax collectors or you may not be talking to soldiers, but you are talking to people who have different jobs, who live in different neighborhoods, who know different people. And what you will be saying to them, love these individuals and here's how you do it. And you would give examples in their life, what they should be doing. But those examples are not ways in which they save themselves. This is a message for those who are already saved. Because as soon as the crowds and the tax collectors and the soldiers ask, what shall we do? In their situation, they were recognizing their sinful condition. And therefore, they were repenting of their sins. And they were looking to John the baptizer to tell them what they were to do. And he doesn't tell them what they are to do to be saved because through repentance of their sins, they were saved by believing in Jesus Christ as the Savior. But once you believe in Jesus as the Savior, here are the things from the wisdom of God that is very important for you to follow. This is a wonderful passage to begin the season of Advent, a message to believers as to how they are to respond. Because when God sees fruit of the Holy Spirit that are worked on by the Holy Spirit himself, that is evidence for God that you indeed are a Christian. And I'm Tom Baker. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we'll take a look at the hymn on Jordan's Bank, The Baptist Cry, and look into some other elements of this event. And then, remember on Wednesday, we'll begin a study on the book of Proverbs, which I think will be a surprise to many of you. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.